study about the Christmas story. We will not be here on Christmas Day nor New Year's Day, and then we will end it. Uh, I'll come back again on the fifth week, and uh, that'll be Epiphany. Uh, next week, uh, Lynn Roberts will uh, bring the lesson, and then Karen Woodison the week after that, and on the 18th, Gail uh, Ehrman will give the lesson. Each of these uh, will be a little different twist on the, the basic theme for Christmas, which the church has chosen to use, a small little book by a guy by the name of uh, Mike Slaughter, entitled, Christmas is Not Your Birthday. <clears throat> Today we, we will work on the introductory lesson entitled, uh, Expect a, a Miracle. Now when you start thinking about Christmas, and particularly thinking about God as a man, it raises a question of what does God look like when he's a man? Uh, Isaiah said in the ninth chapter that he is going to look like a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of whose government and, and peace there will be no end. But if you lived in the little nation of, of Israel in the time when Jesus really did come, uh, a poor country under the heavy yoke of Roman domination, these folk were looking for a David-like deliverer, a son of David who would kick the Romans out and restore uh, the grandeur to the, uh, to the people and, and be the conquering hero. But uh, instead, they got a poor baby born in a cattle stall, celebrated uh, by angels, but to shepherds in a field, to a poor family, a young unmarried mama, running for his life and fleeing before he's two years of age to Egypt, um, and living as a refugee. One of the first chapters in the life of, of the Lord is living as a refugee. And then, of course, upon return uh, to Israel, he grows up in Nowheresville, Israel, the little village of Nazareth, of which uh, some of them said, you know, in an offhanded way, what good thing can possibly come out of Nazareth. So this is the, this is the uh, Messiah uh, that they got. This is the God with us, um, brought up in a, in a blue-collar, working-class family, um, proper religious and, uh, training, an observant Jew, and all that he needed in that sort, uh, but not brought up as in, the, in the clergy class. And as soon as he gets into his ministry, it doesn't take him long to get crossed up with the, uh, with the rulers, with the uh, Pharisees and the scribes and the rulers uh, in, in Jerusalem. The poor people liked him, yes, um, but the religious power structure didn't. 
so you end up with the question can you see God in this kind of man can you look at Jesus of whom the same Isaiah who said those other things said when you look at him you know, he's not particularly handsome he's not uh, a dynamic looking guy uh, nothing, uh, nothing no, nobody to write home about Paul said however in uh, 2 Corinthians um, the 4th chapter he said that the fullness of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God Paul said that if you're having trouble seeing God in Christ you're missing on the ability to see the glory of Christ who is the image of God and then two verses later he says that, there, that in him is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the glory of this Messiah, according to the scripture, is there for the seeing, to those that can see it. And to those who can't, then they don't see. So here we have then the purpose of God being clarified, that it's not political power. It's not the restoring of the government. It's not uh, uh, the reestablishment of, of a free nation. It's not the building of an empire. It's not power. It's not wealth. It's not dominance. This, this a Jesus, a Messiah, uh, an Emmanuel, a God with us who looked different than what a lot of folks expected. Now, he was capable, all right, he didn't have any problem dealing <clears throat> with the intelligentsia of his age. No problem uh, engaging the religious leaders. No problem in holding up his side uh, of the argument. He, he could handle the truth, and he could handle it quite well. But it's clear that even though he was in conflict with the intelligentsia and the power structure, his heart was with the poor. You remember, we all remember the, the uh, story of the parable of the sheep and the goats out of Matthew 25. Uh, what did Jesus say uh, that we should have been doing if we would recognize him? We'd see the hungry. We'd be, we'd be feeding the hungry. We're giving something to drink to the thirsty clothes to those that had no clothes, uh, a place of shelter to those who had no home, visiting the poor and the sick and those in prison. He said, if you're doing that to, to these people, you're doing it to me. And of course, those that couldn't see, oh Lord, when did we ever see you like this? They simply couldn't see it. He's the friend of the widow and the orphan and the powerless and neglected. And he, this is what God with us, Emmanuel, really looked like. He's the face of God, and he's the face of man. He's fully God, and he's, and he's fully human. And the, the more we get to know him, the more we see that this definition of what a Messiah would look like really fills the bill. Now, after we get that view of who the 
Scripture says Christ is. Then we come back to flashback to our modern day commercialized version, right? <clears throat> now we're going to look at Santa Claus. We're going to look at Black Friday. We're going to look at Christmas sales. We're going to look at commercialism. I heard the other day that two-thirds of the gross national product of the whole nation, everything, is determined by consumer spending. Two-thirds of everything is us consuming things. That's that's the trick. Um, pretty easy trap to get into, isn't it? But here's a, the real Jesus, a man who had a lot to say about money and power and wealth. And he didn't cut a lot of slack for rich folks like us. He said very, in very plain language, you, uh, you can't serve God in money. So the question then is how do we get this miracle working Messiah? How do we get him back into his birthday celebration? <clears throat> when we recognize it's you know, it's not what we're going to get for Christmas. We like to we like we did did you go off that way? What am I going to get for Christmas? I mean that was essentially the the notion. John says that in terms of doing his work and recognizing, he says, whoever, he has Jesus saying, whoever believes in me, out of his, the King James, out of his belly will flow streams of living water. Out of the depth of your being, right at the core of who you are, this is going to flow out. Then that's, this starts transforming the ordinary looking Jesus. And, and empowers then that image of him in ordinary people like us. And that becomes the, the real trick of Christmas. Can we see in this ordinary looking Jesus the face of God? Can we see the glory of God in him? And can we identify with him and begin to do his work? This insignificant Messiah from Nazareth. This man who, according to this author, Slaughter, wouldn't have any problem fitting right in to a refugee camp in Darfur. And he gives examples later uh, in the book of what his church had done to work with refugees. <coughs> the, this is the kind of Jesus will have no problem in the slums and the orphanages of Nairobi, where some of us have had the privilege to visit. This is a, a man who's going to have no problem uh, being at ease in the streets of Calcutta, where uh, <coughs> Teresa is taking care of the dying. This is a this is a man that understands folks in Roswell, Georgia, who live in their cars, right? This is a Jesus who knows the addresses of the people in Homestretch, knows what apartment they're in. This is a kind of Messiah 
that knows the mothers and the children down at the stray cows. Okay? This is the kind of real fire that we get. And this author then goes on, <coughs> goes on in his book to, uh, to talk about the projects that have been uh, birthed out of his own church. Uh, the, the work with refugees uh, in, in the, the terrible messes that are going on in Africa and about high school kids uh, who are raising thousands of dollars for uh, orphanages. And then he shared, the author shares his own experience of being a lackluster student and a kind of a nondescript sort of guy who finally came to know the Lord and in doing that uh, he begins to declare the gospel in the book. The gospel that grace may be free, but it ain't cheap. Grace may be free, but it, it's not cheap. It comes at quite a price. When I think about that, I think about what the Lord told Ananias, his servant, when he struck down Paul, you know, the man that he needed to write most of the New Testament, the man readily capable of being the great apostle. And he sends Ananias down to, you know, to set, to welcome him into the church. And then said, oh, Lord, you, you don't know what you're talking about. This man, you know, don't, don't you know who this guy is? And, and this has always been surprising to me. The, the Lord says to Ananias, yes, and I'm going to show him how much he'll suffer for my name's sake gospel. Welcome into the church, Brother Paul. The first message that the Lord sends about this man is his suffering. And the message of Christmas from God's standpoint is really a message of a sacrificial gift. This is what God has done for us. It's it's tough to separate the cradle from the cross or Christmas from the crucifixion. They're, they're different sides of the same story. <clears throat> Paul talks in his, in his writings about uh, wanting to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in the fellowship sharing in his sufferings. So here, our author reaffirms to us that God's work and, and the miracles of God uh, come at a price. Uh, it's kind of a, a new theology of miracle, isn't it? When you say miracle, you, it, you, you want to think of something extraordinary done, done by the Lord. But here he talks about a miracle and defines miracle in a language we can understand. A miracle is buying a cow for a heifer project for someone in a poor country. Now 
let's see, we're buying a cow. We're going to get four, five hundred, six hundred bucks together. And we're going to buy a cow. Yet the guy that gets the cow says he's a gift from God. That qualifies a miracle. A real miracle. Those of us who've had the opportunity to go to places like uh, uh, Peru and, and, uh, and Africa, um, we see we see that idea of of a, of a redefining for those of us that go a redefining of what the work of God is, and, and really at times a redefining of what miracle looks like. The author says that miracles don't just happen; they're born through the pain of labor. He says that Emmanuel comes to move us out of our comfort zones. And so then we get in this in this lesson a a new definition of the theology of uh, of what a miracle is. Uh, he you, you we could we could criticize him for being a little bit wide and and encompassing in uh, in his definition of what a miracle is. That is that a cow is a miracle. Um, we have had in this class fairly recently a a, le a couple of lessons by Chris Leinert, in which a a young pastor in Birmingham decides that when he starts talking about a miracle as being something that we can do, he starts talking that kind of language, then it becomes necessary to call that radical. Is that radical enough for us? Is it too too radical? Can I see a redefinition of the work of the Messiah, a redefinition of the word miracle? Can I see that in me? Can I see that? Can I see that in my family? This uh, I'm going to share something with you that uh, we're doing in our family, and you you can decide what you think of me talking about it. But with those kinds of experiences under my belt in the last year and the things that I've been reading, um, this Christmas, Sarah, Sarah and I have challenged our family, the two of us, my two sons, two daughters-in-law, and five teenage grandchildren, to change what we are going to do with and for each other this Christmas. I'm just telling you, okay? You're my brothers and sisters, so I'm sharing with you what's been working on me. And the proposal is that uh, we're going to take about I don't, I don't, we're still working on it. Two-thirds or three-fourths of what we would spend on each other. So instead of uh, Sarah and I taking the five grandchildren shopping for Christmas, and there's 140 or 50 bucks for each one of them, uh, we're going to go shopping. And it's going to be about 30 or 40. And we're going to take the rest of it, and we're going to give it to uh, a family 
We've identified already in one of the places where there are needy families. And, and we, we haven't, don't have a dollar figure on it. That's not what's important. But we're going to give it to another family. And, and the people that run those programs know how to do that. They're going to keep it anonymous. So, so the folk, you know, <coughs> to the dignity of the people that, that are receiving the gifts uh, is, is uh, cared for. And the families accepted the challenge. Uh, and in fact, it's the sort of thing that uh, other members of our family have already been doing. We know, we know, those of us that are Christians, we know that any giving is blessed. What does the most famous verse in all the scriptures say? For God so loved that... God so loved that he gave. It's almost the definition of love. It's almost the very definition. God so loved that he gave. The giver, the giver is always more blessed than the one who receives it. Well, I've come to realize that every time we go on one of these trips, uh, looking at Roger and Gail because we've been together a couple of times. The Lord seems to have a couple of people down there that he's made an appointment for me with. with. And I come home from it so blessed I can't contain it. You know. If you, so it's a, it's a spiritual principle. And you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know everything I'm talking about. That the giving, the blessedness that there is in the giving. So, for this Christmas, this Christmas season, um, what if God speaks to us um, to some extent as a group of his children? And what better group for the Lord to speak to than this class? You tell me a better group than this whole church, a more capable group a group with ears anymore open. But that the, the challenge, my, my challenge is, is that God will speak through those he's already using. And, and this class is doing an enormous amount. And I thank God for every one of you. We're making a difference in this community. What I'm praying for is to Ask God to help me and my family to stretch beyond our usual plans and patterns and the usual ways that, that we think about Christmas and uh, stretch us out, move us uh, beyond something that would be the usual way we think about giving at Christmas. We know that every one of us that are Christians are called to be missionaries. No doubt about that. And that makes no difference where you're going to do it. Whether, whether you're going to the other side of the world or you're going to show up next Sunday with your drill. Uh, all of that's the Lord's work. Can, my, can, can I and my family uh, learn something 
from the ideas of this author uh, stretch us. Move us out of our usual place. Move us out of our usual comfortableness and cause us to practice um, a, a, a redefinition of what Christmas giving looks like. Um, that's it. Didn't take long, did it? <laughs> Here's the man. Paul, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your sharing both your insights and your as we revisit the work.